welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. The scripture reading this morning is from Mark chapter 15, verses 21 through 39. A passage from Mark 15, 21 through 39. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him mixed wine with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide which each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging, his heads and, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief's priests, the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders heard it saying, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone came, someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, and he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. So as Josh was uh, just telling us, the Reformation was a, a time of really gospel rediscovery, you know. The, the gospel was never fully lost within the church, but it was a time of really a depth of understanding of the gospel. And we love the Reformation because of that. And today, actually, we're going to continue that Reformation. The Reformation continues. If we were going to have a chant for it, Josh was wondering if we could have one. It would be uh, sempre reformata, right? Always reforming. And so that's what we're doing this morning is we want to look at the depth of the gospel. What Aviana read so well there was what happened at the cross. But what we want to talk about this morning is what it meant. And this morning, I'm going to show you what it means with, with five terms. And the five terms are propitiation, justification, redemption, and uh, adoption in Christus Victor. And these are what we'd call five images of the atonement. They're five ways of looking at the cross. Because I thought, if we're going to have kids five and up in, we should do like a lecture on atonement theology. <laughs> right? I mean, that would make sense, right? That's what you do when you get all the kids in service, because we believe in you kids. And by the way, kids, you guys can be in here anytime, okay? It's not like there's just some Sundays you can come. You can come anytime, and if you come, there's stickers, 
We always have food here, uh, and we draw pictures, as you're going to see in a moment. It's just amazing. Actually, I'm not telling you the truth there, and I really should always tell you the truth. Uh, but uh, what we're going to look at is these images of the atonement. What we're going to find with these five things is each one gives a different, like, texture and taste to the gospel. And you actually need to, like, taste all these separately, okay? So you want to get, like, the, the strong kind of coffee bitter taste of propitiation, and you want to get all the different tastes of the atonement through this. Because if you don't, you don't kind of savor them individually it's kind of like taking a good meal and throwing it in a blender and making a puree, and you just eat that, right? It's like taking the meal you're about to have and just pureeing it. And a lot of Christians, because they haven't looked at the depth of what the atonement was about, they're kind of living on a gospel puree. Maybe you've been living on a gospel puree. I guess I grossed you guys out. But, but what I'd like to introduce you to is these five distinct tastes and textures with these five words. And what I want you to see is that you could spend the rest of your life dwelling on the gospel, thinking about the gospel, thinking about the cross, never get bored, and you could have endless food and medicine for your soul, okay? And what's cool about these words as we go through them, and uh, I'll have a handout here on the top. You guys probably have one. What's cool about these words is that each one of these words were actually normal, everyday words in first century society. These were not theology words. These are not fancy theology words. These are everyday words, as we're going to see in a little bit. And that's because the gospel is meant to be seen and enjoyed in all of life. Okay? And as we go through it, um, you'll see. And I've got these handouts for you guys. Most of the kids should have handouts. Adults, you have handouts as well. Let's keep you guys engaged. There's going to be some drawing. I don't want the drawings to show up yet. But we're going to draw as we go along. It's going to help you kind of stay engaged. For those of you who are more like left brain, I put a chart on the back you can fill out. So you could just do the chart if you're more of a, like, just give me a chart. You're more the engineering type. So there's five images we're going to go through. The first one is propitiation. Propitiation is a term that's taken from temple worship, okay? And to propitiate means to appease or to turn away God's wrath. We need propitiation because outside of Christ, our sin causes God to have wrath toward us. Jesus described it this way, whoever believes the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son will not see life, for the wrath of God remains on him. And I know I start off with propitiation and wrath, even though a lot of Christians are very squeamish about this, okay? Very squeamish about God having wrath. Um, the issue with that is the Bible. So wrath is mentioned at least 600 times, either directly or indirectly. It's a major theme. I mean, 600 times, that's a lot in one book. And so we have to kind of deal with it in some way. And we have actually something to deal with it. It's called propitiation. John Stott described wrath this way, God's wrath. It says that God's wrath is his steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms. He's constantly opposed to evil. And this is a wonderful quality of God, by the way. This is a wonderful thing. He would not be a good God if he didn't have antagonism to evil. The problem is, is that we're sinners. That's the problem. The problem isn't that God has wrath towards sin. The problem is that we're, we have sinned against him. That's the problem. And in first century life, pagan religions also had something called propitiation. But their propitiation was that somehow the sinner needed to find the right sacrifice to turn away God's wrath. Whether it was an animal or whatever, they had to come up with a sacrifice. What's amazing about the gospel, guys, is that God himself has provided the propitiation. He has provided the sacrifice. And the sacrifice isn't another. The sacrifice is himself. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that God would 
give himself. Hebrews 2.17 says this, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, speaking of Jesus, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. So in propitiation, God turned away his own wrath for our sin by turning it on himself on the cross. Isn't that amazing? The result of propitiation is that we now have peace with God. We don't ever have to fear him. If you're in Christ and you kids, you, if you're in Jesus, you're trusting in him, you never have to fear God. Not only do you not have to fear God, but you have confidence to enter into his presence. And we've been looking a lot about that in Hebrews. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's a huge theme in Hebrews, right? That Jesus is that ultimate temple sacrifice that opens the way to the Holy of Holies. And so, uh, so let's draw. In that little box where you have the propitiation written, I want you guys to draw a diagram, some sort of diagram that has to do with propitiation. So I'll show you what I have. It's impressive, I know. I want to tell you something before you see the rest of my diagrams. I have intentionally held back my artistic skills <laughs> to not intimidate you. These are designed so you'll look at them and you go, I could do better, and you can, and you should. I hope you will. So what I have here is I have like a little altar and like an animal sacrifice, doesn't have any ears or anything, and some fire, okay? That's a symbol for propitiation, that God himself became the sacrifice to turn away his own wrath. So that's propitiation. Next one, justification. Justification is a legal declaration Justification comes from the language of the court of law. You see how we moved from the temple and now we're in the court of law? We're in a different area of everyday life in the first century. And justification, it means that God has declared us righteous. To justify is to be declared righteous by a judge. And we need justification because of our sins. Our sins are actually crimes against God, the judge. They're, they're, they're crimes against him. Romans puts it this way. Now we know that whatever the law speaks, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So what it's saying there is that we can see very clearly our need for justification, our need to be declared righteous when we look at the law. The law is like a mirror. No sane person looks at the law and goes, got it, nailed it. I mean, even just looking at God's extremely reasonable standards in the Ten Commandments. Not a lot of detail here, very basic. We can't do it, right? It's a mirror that shows us our guilt. And when I say guilt, I don't mean that we just feel guilty. I mean that we are guilty. There's a difference. You can feel guilty. It could be subjective guilt, which is just your feelings. You're like, eh, I have this guilt, and it doesn't make sense, and it, it's not, I shouldn't even have it, but I do. It's not that kind of guilt. It's not you feel guilty. It's that you are guilty. It's objective guilt, not subjective guilt. It's the kind of guilt you have when you've committed a real crime, and you're sitting there in a court of law, and a judge sends you guilty. It's that kind of guilt. It's not guilty feelings. It's guilty reality. Our sins are real crimes with real penalties that have to be paid. And that's easy to see just by looking at God's law. I mean, it's something that's so self-evident that we should all be able to see that really clearly. And God solves this problem of guilt by giving us two things, actually. He doesn't just give us forgiveness. He also gives us righteousness. Because we need both, guys. We need, heaven is not just for those who haven't sinned. Heaven is for those who have done righteousness. 
And so the gift of justification is God gives us both. He gives us both up front. And I wish I could just go from person to person and shake you at this moment so you would hear me. But there's too many people. I'll shake you later. But um, because it isn't the fact that God forgives your sin and then now you have this blank slate and you need to build your own righteousness on it so that you can feel good about yourself. No, 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 no. The righteousness and the forgiveness are given in the beginning, okay? We don't build up a righteousness. We receive a righteousness from him. And, and then there's this great saying, and it comes from the time of the Reformation, but it's called the great exchange. The great exchange is in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says this, For our sakes, God made him, Christ, listen to this, to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What it's saying is that throughout his life, Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law. He didn't just not sin. He fulfilled all the requirements of the law. Then at the end of his life, he dies for our sins so that he can do two things. Jesus took our sin as if he had done it, right? Dies on the cross for it. And now he lets us take his righteousness as if we've done it. That's the great exchange. So Jesus took our sin on the cross as if he did it. And kids, you can't do this in school, right? You can't take credit for other people's work. You know, it's cheating, right? But this is something out in the open that God says, I want you to have. I want you to take Jesus' righteousness and claim it as your own. I want you to take credit for Jesus' life. That's what it is. It's a great exchange. Or another example would be, imagine two bank ledgers. You've got one that's Jesus's, and you've got all of his righteous deeds. Super rich, right? Spiritual millionaire. All right? And then you've got us, not good, real bad credit score, Lots of debt, just tons of debt. And what happens in the gospel is simply this. You trust in Jesus, and what God does is just switch the names. You instantly have his righteousness. He took all your sin on the cross. Isn't that amazing? It's just amazing. So that's a great exchange. And so what Jesus is saying to you this morning, if you're not in Christ, is let me trade places with you. How about I went to the cross for you and pay for your sin? And how about you move forward from this day on with my righteousness? How crazy is it not to take that? It's just an amazing trade. I mean, it's like you're a condemned criminal and you're standing at the gallows about to be hung. And Jesus says, want to trade? <laughs> amazing, right? It's a great exchange. And so what are we going to draw for this? So we're going to draw, um, I drew a gavel, okay? I actually did draw these, okay? I know you're like, he must have stole these off the internet or used some sort of AI illustrator to make these things because they're too good. But um, what I did is I did a gavel. because In the gavel, the idea there is just that God, when you trust in Christ, God has ruled and hit with his gavel and called you righteous permanently. Can't mess it up. Can't lose it. Can't destroy it. Can't out, you know, do it with your sin. It's instantaneous. It's up front. And your, your judgment day, instead of being in the future, has been, now been moved to the past. Your judgment day was in Christ. Isn't that amazing? This is totally amazing. So this is why you should have tacos like we're going to have this feast. Not that you needed a reason for tacos, but this is a good reason, right? So what are you going to draw? You could draw a gavel like I drew. You could draw like legal scales. You could maybe draw a judge on his bench. But there's different things you could draw. So, okay. And, you know, maybe you want to share your diagrams later. Like at lunch, you'd be like, hey, you know, check out my diagrams. Those of you who are confident. Take them home. Talk about them over dinner. That would be a cool thing to do with your kids, right? Go over these. Uh, next one, redemption. Redemption is a financial term. So we had a temple term, 
we had a legal term, and now redemption is a financial term. And it's not from the temple or from the law, courts of law. It's from the marketplace. Specifically, it's from the slave markets of the first century. Uh, to redeem was to pay the price to buy a slave out of slavery. These are all everyday terms. These are things they would have seen every day. Here, the need that we have in redemption is that we are all naturally, before Christ comes into our lives, slaves to sin. Not as we do sin, we become enslaved to sin. Jesus put it this way, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So sin isn't just something that we do. Sin is something that does something to us. It enslaves us. And those of you guys, you know, there are many of you here that can testify to that, that that had happened to you as well. You're enslaved to sin. Jesus says everyone is outside of him. Jesus bought us out of slavery by paying the price with his own blood. So instead of money, he used his blood to buy us out. And there's Old Testament precedent for this, right? Where was their blood offered that saved people from slavery? In the Old Testament, it was kind of a major event. Yeah, exactly. Passover, the very first Passover, as they left Egypt in the Exodus, right? The blood of the Passover lamb freed them from the bondage to Egypt. And Jesus gives us a better Exodus. 1 Peter 1.18 says this, Knowing that you were ransomed, or redeemed, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish. There's an Exodus connection there, right? Now, this isn't ransom theory. Um, there's an older theory that theologians had called the ransom theory, which was that Jesus somehow had paid through the cross, paid off Satan to free us. Satan doesn't get a payment, Okay. Satan doesn't get a payment just like Pharaoh didn't get a payment, right? <laughs> Satan, we'll find out later, gets a boot in the head, okay? A fatal wound to his head. But what happens in redemption, Romans 6 tells us, is that since we've been united with Christ, when he died, when he physically died, he actually made it possible for us, when we come to him, to die to sin spiritually. And as he was raised to newness of life, we've been raised to newness of life. The result of redemption is that we've been set free from slavery to sin. Not that we're going to be sinless in this life, but the Bible's really clear about that. We await that in the resurrection. But because of redemption, listen to this, we don't have to be enslaved to any particular sin. That's a really important distinction. We won't be sinless, but we don't have to be enslaved to any particular sin. And this is a freedom that we learn to walk in, right? We become a Christian, and then through the process of, of understanding how to rely on the Spirit and rely on grace, we learn more and more to walk in this freedom. So what do you guys want to draw for this, for redemption? I drew a, uh, like a manacle. It was like a slave manacle, maybe, and like a chain. And you see the chain's broken? That's impressive, huh? That's pretty dynamic, right? I mean, it's like, you know, like, okay, we'll see yours then. But you could draw like a manacle like I did, or you know, kids, you could draw like money being paid to get somebody out of slavery, or you could, you could draw the Jews leaving Egypt, maybe do like a pyramid and a bunch of people's trailing out, right? So that's redemption. And what's cool about this, guys, and the reason why I do the visuals and all this stuff is you could totally bust this out on a napkin at a, at a coffee shop, couldn't you? Or you could just totally bust this out at dinner or something like that. You could be, you'd be talking with somebody, you know, you, there could be somebody you know that that's not a believer, and you could just say, hey, you mind if I just like bust out a little diagram, a little picture of what the cross is about? They might be super interested. They could keep the napkin. You could sign it. It's a cool ministry tool. I just think it's so good. Okay, adoption. 
Adoption. Adoption, now, this is a family term, right? This is home, right? So this isn't temple and religious. This isn't legal and court of law. This isn't uh, financial and marketplace. This is a personal term, right? A family term and a home. To be adopted means to go from being an orphan to being a fully loved member of the family. And we need adoption, guys. We need adoption because we were naturally estranged from God, right? We were naturally enemies of God. Ephesians 2.3 says this about what we were like before we were adopted by God. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a really rough kid to adopt. You know, you're in the orphanage, you're looking at different kids, you know, and they're like, this one, we don't even have a name for this kid. We call this one child of wrath. (laughs) You know, who could own that before Christ? Yeah, okay, well, it's theologically true whether you can own it or not, but there you go. But God adopted us in spite of our sin. And, and the way that this happened was Jesus, God's one and only son, was forsaken in our place on the cross. So we were estranged from God. We were enemies of God. Jesus gets estranged from God on the cross. He gets forsaken. You remember him crying out in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason was so we could be welcomed home. He was taking our place. Notice that all of these involve substitution. All of these involve some sort of substitution. But Galatians says it this way about your adoption. And because you are sons, God has set the spirit of the son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So he gives us this heart cry and desire for him as father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Isn't that amazing? Some of you guys probably really, 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 really need to grab a hold of this idea of adoption. You know, you might be living as a slave instead of a son or a daughter, right? You remember the prodigal son? He rehearses what he's going to say to his father when he's on the way back, and he goes, I'll just say, hey, can I be a servant in your house, right? And for some of you, you know, you've been welcomed home, but you still feel like maybe you're a slave, not a child, but you're his child. Guys, we are the prodigals that have been welcomed home. We're the ones that the father has run out to embrace and welcome in. I mean, he's hired a mariachi band. He has fired up the grill. He's invited all of heaven to celebrate. Isn't that amazing? We're now his beloved sons and daughters, and nothing can change that. You guys know as parents, nothing can change that. Nothing can change that with our father. And guys, adoption is the greatest gift of the gospel. Everything else he's doing here, he's doing so he can adopt us. He propitiation. It's to get the wrath of our sin out of the way. Uh, Justification. It's to get the guilt of our sin out of the way. Redemption. It's to get our enslavement out of the way. Every part of the atonement is for this ultimate thing, which is that we get God. He's the greatest gift. The greatest gift is not that God's turned away his wrath, that he's justified us, that he's redeemed us, but that we have him as our father. This is the most personal thing. We get God. And so what are you going to draw for this? This is my best diagram, really. And it's uh, two people hugging, okay? Yeah, I know. It's getting worse with time, isn't it? It was like ran out of talent, you know? It was like, this is good. Oh, it was real good. Then it's like, no, then he fell down. You could draw like two people hugging for adoption. You could draw like a home. You could draw a father with his arms out stretched wide. I can't do any of that. So that's what you could do. But that's adoption. And then the last image I want to mention is, uh, is called Christus Victor. It's even in Latin, okay, which is great. Christus Victor is a military term. Isn't this cool? 
So you have like a, you have a temple term, propitiation. You have a, a legal term, like court of law term, justification. You have a financial term, you know, marketplace term of redemption. You have a home kind of family term, adoption. And then this is a military term. Christus Victor is a military term. It's taken from the first century battlefield. And what the Latin means is Christ the victor. Christ is victorious. And we need Christus Victor, guys, because we as a humanity have led an enemy into this world. We've let the enemy into this world. It happened in Genesis 3 that Satan and evil came into God's good world. And the reason it happened was God had put Adam and Eve to rule and have dominion and to cultivate the earth. Um, they had the garden and it was, everything was great, but then Adam's sin allowed Satan in. And when Satan in, he took the dominion that Adam had. Adam had dominion over the world. Then Satan became the one who had dominion in this world. And the result is all the evil you see. I mean, this is something that there's so much abundant evidence for. When you look at people and you look at the sin that's in the world and the evil that's in the world, there's no real good natural explanation for this. This is because we have led him into the world. But what was really cool is in that passage, in Genesis 3, God made a promise that day that one day he would send what he called the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. That someday there was going to be a hero that was going to be born, and he was going to come, and he was going to crush the serpent's head. He was going to defeat Satan. And Jesus did that on the cross. Take a look at Colossians 2, 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he has set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Which one does that sound like, by the way? That one's not Christus Victor yet. I'm quizzing you. I'm going to read it again. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Justification, right? And then verse 15 says this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's a way of speaking of the demonic and Satan. He disarmed the rulers and authorities by putting them to open shame, by triumphing over them in him. So through the cross, what looked like Jesus' defeat was actually his great victory. That he defeated both Satan and demons and evil on the cross. And just as the promise that was made in Genesis 3, Satan dealt Jesus a heel wound, right? But Jesus gave him a massive head wound. Isn't that amazing? That's what really happened at the cross, Christus Victor. It's become fashionable lately for people to, for Christians, to choose this one over the others. I don't know how nerdy you are, but this is a common thing. People are like, oh, I'm not really into propitiation or this or that. I'm more of a Christus Victor kind of guy. I believe in Christus Victor. I believe in that model. But the, the problem with that is these aren't competing theories where you pick one with the most evidence. These are five pictures of the same thing. And they all meet a special need that we have in our hearts. And they also meet a need that we literally have with God. Okay? So these aren't competing things. You know, oh, I'm more of a Christmas Victor thing. I'd say, like, I mean, what you are, if you're doing that, is you're like the kid that will only eat the dinosaur chicken or the cheese pizza, but you won't eat the rest of the food, right? And each one of these has a blessing for our souls. So Christus Victor means that Satan and demons are defeated, that Christ will one day throw them forever in the lake of fire, that he will make the whole world new. So the world is going to be the garden without the serpent. How does that sound? Isn't that amazing? The thing that Adam should have done, the second Adam will do. He's going to take the serpent, kill it, throw it in the trash, burn it up. I do like snakes, guys, but I just don't like this one, okay? I love snakes, but I love snakes too, yeah, yeah. We have a church mouse. 
I feel like I have to say this at some point, but I don't know if you remember last Sunday, I'm reading this beautiful line from Lord of the Rings. There was a mouse walking right across. He didn't go to the communion table, but he went this way. And I was just thinking, we need a snake, you know? So anyway, that's a snake tangent. So one day Jesus is going to come. He defeats the serpent. He throws Satan out of this world. It's the garden without the serpent. But until then, this is really cool. Satan's power has been greatly diminished. Jesus said he's been bound, like a strong man bound. Let me read that to you. Jesus said this. If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How awesome is that, by the way? This is, oh. right, let me read it again. If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house, speaking of Satan, and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed we may plunder his house. The picture Jesus is giving there is at his cross and resurrection and ascension, there was a binding of Satan so that his house can be robbed. This is really cool. So how does this happen? This happens by spreading the gospel. Every time you share the gospel and somebody receives it, Satan's house gets ripped off. And I just want to ask you guys, you guys want to rob Satan's house? We do want to rob Satan's house. And the way we rob Satan's house is by spreading the gospel. People hear it, they get freed, and um, his powers have been limited so that we can do that. He's still dangerous. Satan's still dangerous. He's dangerous the way a dying rattlesnake is dangerous. He's dangerous because of his agonal thrashings. He's like a dying rattlesnake, agonally thrashing and biting at whoever he can get a hold of, right? But he knows his time is short. Revelation 12 says he knows his time is short. It reminds me of uh, this really great Reformation hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Luther wrote it, and he said this, Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Isn't that amazing? Or even more amazing is Paul's benediction in Romans 16.20. This is his benediction to the Romans. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a great benediction? So what are we going to draw for this? I drew a, a really nice snake being crushed under the cross. See the little X's on his eyes and stuff? Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. He's not, he's not totally dead yet, but, but definitely fatal head wound and going down. Guys, what I want to challenge you this morning is, is to enjoy all the benefits of the cross. To, like, to dig in, like spend the time. I know when you think about things like this, you're like, oh, theology words, doctrine words. They're not. They were everyday words. This is something we can all dig into so that we can see those whole benefits. And I know I've just scratched the surface. This could be a series, and maybe it will be. Maybe we'll have stickers for that. But um, Paul said this about the, the gospel. He said this to the Corinthians. He said, when I came to you, I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he was there for a year and a half. <laughs> You can imagine after a few weeks, you might be like, well, let's get into other things, you know? A year and a half, right, of Jesus Christ and him crucified because, because the gospel has all these rich, like, layers and textures and, and applications, you know? Gospel applies to all of our lives. So I just want to encourage you with this message, like, enjoy all of the gospel, the whole fullness of it. Some of us want, we gravitate towards one and maybe not the other. Let me do a poll real quick. This will be fun. 
So how many of you guys, now that, you know, we've reviewed what all these words are, how many of you guys tend to, like, view the gospel mainly as propitiation? Like, that's your go-to. How many of you guys, that's your go-to? Okay, hold on now. Let's do this. Everybody put your hand up. Stretch. Okay, now put them down. How many of you guys, like, propitiation is your go-to? Okay, so it wasn't just that your arms couldn't go up. Okay. I'm watching, you better have one, okay? Uh, how many of you guys, justification? You think of justification all the time. I think that'd be a really common one. That's like the huge, major, beautiful discovery of the Reformation. What about redemption? Redemption, excellent. Lots of redemption, actually. Adoption, adoption. Christus Victor, you guys Christus Victor? Oh, that's cool. There's a lot more Christus Victor here than I thought there would be, and that's awesome. This is kind of maybe a personality test. It might be like a theological Enneagram. You know, a lot of you guys did not answer, and I noticed, and I know who you are, and I'm going to ask later. But guys, don't miss the other ways he shows the gospel. These are all for you. These are the riches of the gospel. Like, you might be all about propitiation. You might be just like so relieved that God's wrath has been turned away from you. And I would say amen. But what about adoption? You know, if you're all about propitiation, what's your relationship with God like? Because guys, there's lots of people in this world that aren't angry with you, but you don't call them father right? Like, we got to think about adoption. There's a welcoming in. There's a relationship to be had. Not just like he's not, he's, we're cool. We don't talk or anything, but I know we're good, right? He wants to embrace us in, or you might be all about redemption. Like, Jesus' blood has freed you from slavery to sin, and you're just like, this is such good news. And I would say amen, but what about justification? Because you wouldn't want your assurance of salvation to rise and fall by how free you feel from slavery from day to day, would you? Justification says his love and his acceptance for you is always the same. Or you might be all about justification. God has forever declared me righteous, which is like hallelujah. That's amazing. But what about Christus Victor? How are you supposed to think about the enemy and his ongoing harassments to you? How are you supposed to think about the future of the world, right? Because Christus Victor has cosmic implications. He's going to make the whole world new because he's defeated Satan. Um, These images were given for us to counsel each other. I mean, think about different believers and think about things they might struggle with, and each one of these might be helpful for them. Which one would be best for a believer that's struggling with chronic guilt and lack of assurance? Justification. Yeah, that'd be the best one for that, right? What about a believer who's struggling with habitual sin? Yeah, redemption. What about a believer who feels fearful of and is even being terrorized by the demonic? Christus Victor, right? And we teach him how to pray and how to, how to fight the attacks of the enemy, knowing that he is defeated in Christ. How about a believer who won't forgive other people, other believers? Propitiation would be a good one. Yeah, that could be a good one. Justification could be a good one. There's probably multiple answers on that. How about a believer who feels distant from God, who has very little confidence and their prayer life is weak? What would you say? Adoption. Yeah, I think adoption would be the best one there. What about a believer who feels like this world is hopeless? Every time you talk to them, they're just like, it's all done. It's all over. Just getting worse. Chris is Victor. That was awesome. Good job. Yeah, Chris is Victor. Guys, I want to plead with you. Please do not get off the vibe that we're losing. Please stop doing that. Please stop giving off the vibe that somehow we think we're losing. Like, you're united to Christus Victor. You're united to Christ the Victor. We are not losing at all. He is reigning. He is bringing all of his enemies into subjection under his feet. They're also helpful for evangelism. I mean, a lot of times we think of propitiation as the way to share the gospel, that every single person is in danger of God's wrath, 
Every single person without Christ is hanging over an abyss by a thread and that that thread will eventually break for every single human. And what an amazing gift that, that Jesus has saved us from God's wrath. But what about people that carry constant guilt? You know, guilt's eating a lot of people alive. You know, how many problems are stemming from the corrosive effects of guilt? I mean, justification is good news, right? That they've been declared righteous before the only judge that matters. Or, or what, about, what about Christus Victor as an on-ramp for the gospel? You know, I was in San Francisco, and my driver was driving me around, and I was just asking about the place, and, and he was just, like, complaining about everything that was horrible in the world. And I said, well, Jesus is going to come back and fix it. And he's all, he better. <laughs> and I'm like, he's going to. And he's like, well, he better. You know, and I, I was able to explain, like, Jesus has defeated the powers of evil. He's going to make all things new. The question is, are you going to get to stay? right? Because when all evil's removed, are you going to be removed with it? Jesus is the solution for that, right? I, I think that people know, guys, that there's so much evil in the world, but we're the ones who know how it's going to be removed. And there's really no competition in that market space, okay? There's not like a bunch of people that are like, oh, I know how evil will be removed. Like, Jesus is literally, and they know it, they don't have another option, okay? Christus Victor. Or maybe thinking about like people that you know that aren't believers that have destructive behaviors in their lives and how redemption would be such good news. You know, addictions and, and uh, how they're ruled by sin. Or how about people that are just desperate to be loved and wanted and how the gospel of adoption is such a blessing. As God has given us a variety of ways to communicate. And the reason he's done this is that we can know that every unbeliever in our lives actually lives right next to one of these on-ramps. Isn't that cool? They actually live right next to one of these on-ramps. There's something in their life that this would connect with. And then as they come in, they get to see the beauty of the whole gospel. And, and another thing I want to mention, you guys, is these are just earthly images. These are just earthly images taken from everyday life so that we could like grasp a little bit of what God did for us on the cross. But the reality of the cross, the reality of the atonement, is something deeper. You know that? It's something deeper than all these. All these shine a light on some part of his love and our reconciliation with him, but it's something even more deep and wonderful. And you could spend the rest of your life just meditating on the gospel, meditating on the scriptures, and mining the depths of the gospel. But you know what? It's going to take all of eternity to do. In Ephesians 2, it says, in the coming ages, he will show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? In the coming ages, he's going to show us all the layers to this. God's amazing, right? Isn't God's love amazing? That he would do all of this for us? You sit back and you just go like, why? Do you? You should. I mean, you hear all this and you're like, God did all this for me at the cost of his own son. The father gave his son. The son gave himself. The, the spirit enabled all this. Like, why? And, and the answer really is, is that God is love, right? God is love. You know, and all this is a gift, guys. There's nothing to buy here. Jesus extends this to you today as a gift. I mean, just like, you know, we don't charge for the communion. We don't charge for the food later. This is all a gift. It's to be received the way any gift is, with open, empty hands. So he's just, he's just saying, will you take it? This morning, all you have to do is turn to Christ and ask him for it. All this stuff, you're like, I want it. And he's like, I'm glad you want it. Let me give it to you. Right?
Ask and you will receive. Let's pray. Father, we do receive. With our open hands, nothing to the cross do we bring, just empty hands. Only to your Son, Christ, do we cling, and we trust in Him. And we trust in Him as our propitiation. Lord, we're so thankful we don't have to worry at all about the wrath our sins deserve because it's done. We look at the cross and it's so evidently taken care of. There'd be nothing to add to that. And we're so thankful, Lord, that we have no reason to feel the burden of guilt before you for, for sin that we've confessed, Lord. You just, there's no reason to feel any of that. You have taken it away as far as the east is from the west. And we thank you that we can learn to walk in newness of life and we just Pray, Lord, show us how. Show us how to have these truths fuel our hearts so much that we want to give you more and more of ourselves. And we thank you for adoption. We thank you that you are our Father and you're so excited to have us back home. It's astonishing. And Father, we're thankful that you've sent Christ to be that victor who is defeated the powers of evil and going to make all things new. We just pray, Lord, that we would be people of that resurrection hope, of that hope of the new world, of knowing that there is a hope for this world and you're going to make it new. That everything we do here matters because of Christus Victor, because Jesus is going to redeem it all. We thank you, Father, so much for your love for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.